Well, uh, good morning. I'm uh, excited to be with you. Uh, in some ways, I guess I could give this church credit for me being superintendent of the Pacific Southwest Conference of the Covenant Church because my introduction into uh, the Pacific Southwest Conference of this denomination was being with you. I don't know how many of you remember, I think it was about two years ago now, uh, in the fall, around September, uh, there was a leadership retreat uh, at Mission Springs, and I had a chance to come out and spend a whole weekend with many of you involved in this great church. And, um, you know, I, I loved the weather when I, while I was here. And then, uh, actually, later that year, my whole family came out to San Jose as I was speaking at a uh, youth conference, and my oldest daughter, Jada, said, you know, it would be cool to live in California. So I guess that was prophecy, because here we are. Um, Great Exchange, GRX, as you're known, um, you are a part of a family of churches known as the Evangelical Covenant Church, and you're specifically in a region called the Pacific Southwest that is made up of about 162 congregations in California, Hawaii, Arizona, Nevada, and soon to be Utah. So I'm from Minnesota. So being from Minnesota and spending this last winter in Northern California, I'm pretty sold that this is God's will for me to <laughs> be, be out here. Uh, and some people said this, this last winter here was kind of bad. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Minnesota. So <laughs> it was good to me as far as I was concerned. So I'm so honored to be with your, uh, your church this morning. I understand that you've been in a series of sermons based out of the book of Acts on um, kind of the foundations of the church, like kind of how the church, as we know it in the first century, the Christian church kind of sprang up. Uh, and, and I'm not going to be in the book of Acts this morning, but I believe that the text that I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of Matthew will still be helpful in understanding what is, what is at the foundation of what the church is supposed to be about. Uh, how is the church supposed to function? What is the church supposed to pursue locally and in the world? So there's a word found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Chapter 25 of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning with verse 31. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, and Jesus is speaking. And he says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers or sisters of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. 
From this text, I want to talk to you on the title, Advancing the Kingdom. Advancing the Kingdom. God, I pray that this would be your message, that ultimately, God, you're speaking, and I'm just the vehicle that you've decided to use to speak here to this church, to your beloved children, my sisters and brothers. I want to be obedient to your word, God, so let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Advancing the kingdom. I believe that one of the foundational purposes of the church is to advance the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus proclaimed when he walked the earth. He talked about the kingdom of heaven. And on many occasions, Jesus would, would say the kingdom of God is like this. And he would tell a story. He'd say the kingdom of heaven is just like. And he would tell a story. Jesus came to bring new life, to establish a new covenant that would lead to eternal life. But he wrapped that around the vision of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is at hand right here, right now. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., when he was leading the civil rights movement in the late 50s into the 1960s, used a phrase called the beloved community. And the beloved community was a way of casting vision not only for what our country could look like in the United States of America, but it was really a kingdom vision, a vision of reconciliation, redemption, transformation, justice, equality. Uh, in a speech in 1957, Dr. Martin Luther King said that the end of all this, speaking of the goals of the civil rights movement, he said the end of all this is reconciliation, redemption, justice, the beloved community. And he said, but this can only come about through the love of Jesus Christ, the agape love that we experience in Jesus. Dr. King was talking about the kingdom of God. So if we are going to be the church, if we're going to be fruitful and missional as a church, part of our foundation is proclaiming, advancing the kingdom of God. It's a big part of what the church is. It is proclaiming, is advancing the kingdom. The big idea of this sermon is this. God desires to use you and I to advance his kingdom. God desires to use you and I to advance his kingdom. Wow, look at that. It's on the screen. That's kind of cool. The big idea of the message. God wants to use you and I to advance his kingdom. So if that's the case, if that's at the foundation of what the church is supposed to be about, then it's important for us to understand the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God like? That's what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is giving us three glimpses, three pictures of what the kingdom of God is like. So that as a church, we know what our mission is, what we're advancing. What, what, what does that mean to proclaim, to practice, to advance the kingdom of God? So here in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to look at the words of Jesus and get three pictures of the kingdom of God. In verse 1 of chapter 25 through verse 13, Jesus gives us the first picture 
of the kingdom of God. Um, he tells a parable, a story of 10 bridesmaids. And he says, the kingdom of God is like this. There were 10 bridesmaids and uh, they were preparing for a great wedding ceremony, a great wedding banquet. And Jesus said, five of the bridesmaids were wise and five were foolish. And he said that um, they were out on the road and at night they were getting their lamps prepared to light the pathway for the groom to come for this important wedding, this great wedding banquet. Well, five of the bridesmaids ran out of oil to light their lamps. And so they went into town to get oil. And when they came back, it was too late. The groom had already showed up. The wedding ceremony had already happened and they were already having the reception. I mean, they missed this wonderful ceremony between the groom and the bride. Now, here's the first picture that Jesus is trying to give us in this story of the kingdom of God. And the first point is kingdom awareness. Kingdom awareness. And, I, and really, I want to couple it up and say kingdom awareness and passion. If we're going to understand what it means to advance the kingdom of God, we need to understand uh, what it means as a church to carry, to embody kingdom awareness and passion. Now, to truly understand what Jesus is getting at here, we need to know something about what a wedding ceremony looked like in Jesus' day. Because the people that were hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom, they were like, oh, that's what the kingdom of God is like. Because they understood what he was talking about. So a wedding ceremony in Jesus' day went something like this. A guy would go to the father of the woman that he wanted to marry. And he would ask the father for her hand in marriage. If the father said yes, then the groom-to-be would go to his father's land and he would start building a house, a place for him and his future bride to, to live. Now, this, the wedding ceremony is not going to happen until, one, he's prepared the place for them to live, and then he goes back to get her, and they have this great ceremony. Meanwhile, the ten bridesmaids that Jesus is talking about, they have two jobs. One is to get the bride-to-be ready. So they get up and they help her with their hair and they make sure the flowers are set up and the musicians are in place and everything's cool. That's their, their number one job, tend to the bride, right? And then the second part is, is as the day gets late, they go out to the road and they light their lamps because tonight could be the night that the groom comes so we can have this wedding ceremony. And they wait out there and he doesn't show up that day. So then the next day, they start all over again. They help her with their hair, and they help the flowers get set up, and the musicians are in place. And then they go out to the road with the lamp. He doesn't show up that day. You know what? They don't know the day or the hour when he's going to arrive. But they have to be ready anyway. They have to be alert and aware so that, so that whatever night he shows up, 
They're ready. They also have to have a passion about this. You know why? Because if you don't have passion about this job, you're going to quit. Because, you know, some of those bridesmaids, they might get upset. You know, why I have to be out here every night for her? Maybe I want to get married. Maybe I want to be a bride. Maybe I want a husband. I'm tired of standing out here for her. (laughs) He didn't even show up anyway. Maybe he's never going to show up. Maybe he's got a new girlfriend. (laughs) We should just spread that rumor all around. He's got a new girlfriend. That's why he's not even coming. Being in the church can be like a bridesmaid. We don't know when our Lord and Savior is going to come again. We don't know the day or the hour. There was a person, I guess, in the Bay Area that tried to guess, but he had it wrong. We, I guess it was supposed to be May 21st or something like that, but we still here. We, so we either still here as good Christians or we all need to be at the altar at the end of this service. <laughs> One or the other, right? <laughs> Including me, you know? So uh, we have to be like those wise bridesmaids. Our Lord is in his father's house preparing a place for you and I to live eternally. We don't know the day or the hour when he's coming. We have to be aware of this. We need to be alert. But he could come today, tomorrow, next year, 20 years from now. We don't know. But he will return. So until then, we need to have a passion for the bride. To tend to the bride. Who is the bride? The Bible says the bride is the church. So you know what our job is? Is to tend to the church. The church ought to be a place of transformation, of healing, of justice, of freedom, of forgiving one another, enduring with one another, going through hardships together, being able to bear one another's burdens. That's the church. And so we are, if we're going to really understand the kingdom, we have to be aware and alert that our Lord and Savior Jesus is alive and well. He's in his father's house. He's aware of what's going on in the world. One day Jesus is going to return for us. But in the meantime, we must tend to the church. That means to have a heart for evangelism, discipleship, justice, to live life together, to not just sit in a church space together, but to actually do life together so that no single person's living life alone. No one's doing marriage on their own. Nobody is, is, is raising kids on their own. Nobody's trying to figure out their career or school in isolation because we're a church and we're going to tend to one another. We're going to tend to each other to make sure we're okay. We're going to tend to our surrounding community. We're going to tend to the world. We're going to see the brokenness in the world, the injustice in the world, and we're going to tend to that. We're going to be salt and light in a broken world. So if we're going to advance the kingdom of God, We need to be about kingdom awareness and kingdom passion. But Jesus also gives another story. In verse 14, Jesus begins to give us another picture of the kingdom of God. He tells another story. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like a master who had servants or slaves. And this master was getting ready to go on a long journey. But before he left, He called his servants or his slaves to him and he gave them some talents. To one he gave five, to another he gave 
two. To another he gave one. And then he went off on his journey. After time had gone by, the master comes back and he checks with the servants. The one that he gave the most talents to says, Master, I took the talents you gave me and I multiplied them. I grew them. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. To the second servant or slave, uh, he says, I took the talents you gave me and I multiplied them. And the master says, well done, servant. To the one that he gave one talent, uh, he said something like this. He basically said, you only gave me one. Just so you know, you gave, you gave him five. I only got one. So I took the one talent you gave me, the one talent that you gave me, and I didn't want to lose it because I only had one. So I buried it in a hole and I can go get it and bring it back to you, master. It's just the same way. It's just as shiny as it was when you gave it to me. And the master was disappointed. Here's the second point. If we're going to understand the kingdom of God and how to advance it, that's kingdom multiplication. Kingdom advancement and kingdom multiplication. What does that mean? Well, to understand this picture of the kingdom, we need to understand what slavery was like in Jesus' day. Slavery in Jesus' day was not like the slavery um, early on in the history of the United States of America. On my mother's side of my family, I can trace my family tree all the way back to a slave girl named Easter. I've seen pictures of her. So even though she was a slave, she was named after Resurrection Sunday. Her name was Easter. She was a slave. And, but her kids actually experienced freedom. They experienced the Emancipation Proclamation. So Jesus is not talking about that kind of slavery. In Jesus' day, slavery was like this. Um, you owed somebody and you didn't have the resources to pay off your debt. So you would become someone's slave and then when you worked off the debt that you owed, then you were free. I guess that would be like today, let's say you owe Visa, Citibank, MasterCard. You're like, well, I don't really have it. You know, I can put five on it, but I really don't, I really don't have it. So you... I just become MasterCard servant and then I work it off and then I'd be free. Some people say that's how it feels right now. <laughs> I'm like a slave to MasterCard. But anyway, that's what this story's like. But check this out. Even though these three servants are in debt to the master, instead of this master that Jesus is talking about focusing on what they owe him, He's not focused on what they owe him. He actually is giving them resources. If you look at it, this is really Christianity 101. This is the basics of Christianity. Because of sin, we are in debt to God, the king of the universe, the Lord of lords, our heavenly master. Sin creates debt in the economy of the kingdom of heaven. So we're in debt, and you do not want to get the invoice on sin debt. 
You do not want to know the compound interest rate on lying, selfishness, unforgiveness, hatred, you know, murder, cheating, injustice. You do not want to see the compound interest rate on the sin debt of humanity. It's worse than the, than Greece. You know what I'm saying? Like Greece has got like all this economic debt. Well, United States of America, we got a lot of economic debt. Uh, the state of California, Lord have mercy. You don't want to try to balance that checkbook. But I'm saying that the debt in the kingdom of God because of our sin is so much worse than any debt you'd ever have to look at or comprehend. But our master loves us so much that instead of focusing on the debt we owe, he sends Jesus down here. The most valuable commodity in heaven, God sends Jesus down here and he died on a cross for our sin debt. He paid the price. He took care of the invoice. It's the greatest stimulus package ever. Jesus. Jesus Christ. And now instead of God focusing on our debt, now God gives us resources. Just like the master in the story gave talents to the servants, God gives you and I, bought and paid for, his beloved children, he gives us resources, gifts, talents, abilities, not just financial resources, but your, your gifts, your insights, your prayer, your worship, your praise, your leadership, your ability to write, your ability to be an artist, your ability to be a creative thinker, your catalytic juices. These are all resources. Let's call it kingdom capital. God has invested kingdom capital in your life. Here's the question. What are you doing with it? Have you taken what God has put in you and buried it in a hole? Or are you using it to make a difference in the world? Is there a kid? Is there a community? Is there a place in the world that is better because you're taking what God has put in you and you're multiplying it in the world? We need to multiply. You, you need to let God put peace in you and then we need to multiply peace in the world. We need to let God place joy in our lives and then multiply joy in the world. We need to let God put healing in us and then multiply healing. But if you're angry, you're going to multiply anger. If you're selfish, you're going to multiply selfishness. If you're a cheater, you're going to multiply cheating. But if you've got peace and joy and unselfishness and grace and reconciliation and empowerment and liberation flowing in you, that's what you're going to multiply in the world. So we are called to be about kingdom multiplication. I know it's quiet in here. Now, I grew up in a church where they would say amen every once in a while. I'm not trying to force y'all. You don't have to, but I'm just, I'm just saying you can make me feel at home if you wanted to. You don't have to, though. Here's the third point. It's going back where I began. I'll read it again in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. 
I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now, if I was hearing God say to me, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I'd say, you're God. How can I give you something to drink? If the Lord of the universe said, I was sick and you came to visit me, I'm like, you're the greatest healer ever. You could heal yourself. How could I see about you, O Lord, O King, or Master, when you were sick? Who could put you in prison, O Lord? He says that you've done it to the least of these. You've done it to me. So we've talked about kingdom awareness and passion, kingdom multiplication. The last point is kingdom compassion and justice. Kingdom justice. I want to let you know, I have already been inspired by this church when it comes to the issue of kingdom justice. When I came to your leadership retreat a couple years ago, I was pastoring a urban multi-ethnic church in Minneapolis called the Sanctuary Covenant Church. And so I left Minneapolis to come here to um, be with you for your leadership retreat. And I'll never forget that there was a group of, of y'all who made a presentation about human trafficking and uh, talked about a ministry that y'all were partnering with to address the issue of human trafficking, of sex slavery, and the impact it's having on women and children, not only around the world, but even in the Bay Area. I don't know if you know that, um, and this really gripped me. I mean, I learned this from some of your leaders. I learned that, that the top two places in America where children, where girls are kidnapped and sold into sex slavery Number one is Oakland, California. Number two is the Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota. Well, the fact that I'm born and raised in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, but I learned that from some of your leaders, I have never recovered from that. When I came here to serve as superintendent of this region of our denomination, I said, we are going to make that dealing with human trafficking domestically and internationally one of our top compassion, mercy, and justice issues in our region. And I want to thank y'all for being a part of sparking that. Now there are churches in our region all over that are focused on this. First Covenant Oakland, Convergence, uh, churches down in Southern California, uh, Genesis and Paradise Valley in Phoenix, Arizona, Covenant churches. It's like our churches are saying, yes, we have to be aware that this is a kingdom justice issue. And there are others. Incarceration, it says in, Jesus says here, I was in prison and you visited me. I realized recently there's something major the church can do about reducing the number of men and women in prison. And it's something simple. Um, I don't know if you know this, but one of the ways that the prison industry decides to build more prisons or to expand the prisons that are already built is they look at the third and fifth grade 
math and reading scores of kids in the urban public school system. And based on the percentage of urban public school kids that are doing math and reading below grade level, they take that percentage and they forecast out how many people will be in prison 10 years from now. And that's how they build more prisons. They look at the failure of third and fifth graders. So you know what we did when I was in Minneapolis? We started adopting elementary schools. We asked the principal and the teachers to give us all the kids in third grade and fifth grade in that school that were doing bad in reading and math. And we gave them a tutor. We gave them a brand new backpack with school supplies. And we helped them do math and reading a grade level above. And that means those are kids that are kept out of prison. That's kingdom justice. Amen. I'm not talking about political stuff. I'm talking about what the church can do to be about the justice of Jesus in the world. You could tutor a kid and change the prison industry. There, you, all, I mean, there's a housing crisis, right? It bothers me that you can drive in neighborhoods and there's all kinds of houses that are foreclosed. What if we had foreclosure on prison cells? Now that would be great. Say, look at that empty cell in this prison. What's wrong with this prison? They just got rows of empty cells. There's nobody in them because the church is tutoring third and fifth graders. That's why. <laughs> Kingdom justice. I want you to know, I know that you're in a time of transition church. But I'm so optimistic and joyful about what God is doing in this church. Because there's some foundational, fundamental things about GRX that is about the kingdom of God. And I came today just to encourage you. Just to say, thank you for who you are. We need churches that are intentional about looking like the kingdom being multi-ethnic, being involved in their community, being involved in the world, being willing to stay on the edge a little bit. So I want to encourage you, but I believe that you can go higher and you can go further. So since uh, Ali mentioned this book I wrote called Jump, you know, if you want to buy it, I mean, that'd be cool. But if you don't, I can kind of give you the punchline right here. This is kind of the on-ramp to the book. So um, there's an animal. The animal is called the impala. Now, before I saw this animal, I thought the impala was a car. <laughs> and it is. But if you look at the impala, there's this emblem on it, and it's an animal. Now, the impala is from Africa. And I was just in Kenya uh, last November. And uh, so I've seen the impala up close. The impala just standing on all fours, has the ability to jump as high as 13 feet in the air. Just standing on all fours. So if an impala is just standing around, chilling out, and a lion comes, the impala can spring up in the air 13 feet high. Now when the impala's running, not only can the impala go 13 feet high, it can jump 30 feet out. That, it's its God-given ability. It can go 13 feet high and 30 feet out. But if you go to the zoo in Chicago, you will see the impalas in a cage. And they are initially contained by a three-foot wall. Now, how can that be? 
How can an animal that can jump 13 feet high and 30 feet out be initially contained by a three-foot wall? Well, the people at the zoo found out that when an impala is young, if it can't see where it's going to land, it won't jump. So all you got to do is build up a three-foot wall and the baby impala can't see over it. So even though it has the ability to leap over it, it won't jump because it can't see where it's going to land. The impala has no faith. So if you blind the impala from seeing where it's going to land, even when it gets bigger and taller and can just go like this and get over the wall, it still won't. Sometimes I wonder if Christians are like that. We have the ability to go higher and further in life. We have the ability to advance the kingdom of God, to do justice, to do mercy, to make a difference in the world. But because we can't see where we're going to land, we won't jump. It's almost like we need a formula first. We need somebody to say, you know, A equals 2Z equals this, and then it's this. And if we can see it and make sense of it, then we'll do it. If you can show me the strategic plan on paper and I can go, okay, that's that right here. This is the delivery system right here. Here's the focus area. Okay, that's the outcome. Okay, good. But sometimes Christianity is not a formula. It's not an equation. It's a leap of faith. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know where you're going to land. But you still got to jump. You still got to get out there. You still got to love people. You still got to let Jesus shine. We don't know when our Savior is going to return. But we jump for justice anyway. I mean, what do you got to lose? Might as well jump. Even Van Halen said jump. I mean, that was a rap group said jump around. Jump up, jump up and get down. I mean, you might as well jump. What you got to lose? Jump. Jump. Jump and make a difference in the world. You're doing great things, church. But we could go further and we could go higher and advance the kingdom of God like never before. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would continue to make yourself and your kingdom known to us. I pray, God, that you would give us a kingdom awareness and passion I pray, Lord, that you would make us more aware of the gifts and talents you've placed in us so we would be about kingdom multiplication. And Lord, I pray that you would use us to be about kingdom justice, that we would go further and higher in transforming the world. Amen.